Hello, and welcome to Seeds and Waves, a podcast. I'm the Reverend Dr. Cheryl A. Lindsay, Minister for Worship and Theology for the United Church of Christ. Today, I'm sharing my reflection, Made Equal, based on Matthew 21 through 16, which reads, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Made equal. A couple of weeks ago, I went to a hospital to visit a member of the church I pastor after she had fallen in her home. I went on Sunday after the worship service and coffee hour concluded. This particular facility was a satellite center of a major research and teaching hospital. When I went to the front desk, I found a phone on the counter. It was turned toward those approaching the desk with a sign next to it that instructed visitors to call the operator for assistance. This did not appear to indicate that someone was taking a break. Rather, there was no one staffing this desk, at least on a slow Sunday afternoon. I called the operator who connected me with someone in the main office who then transferred me back to the location where I was standing and growing increasingly frustrated. After going through this routine a few times, offering potential solutions along the way, I gave up. All I needed was her room number. I'd been in this hospital before and I started walking along the main hallway toward the elevator bank. Once there, I saw the sign that indicated, in general terms, the units located on each floor. I made an educated guess and took the elevator to that floor. Once I got there, I gave her name at the nurse's station. She was only a couple of steps away. I felt like I had solved a Rubik's Cube, relieved, frustrated, and a little exhausted by it all. I also felt grateful that I had thought to look for the unit when I could not find the person. Over the last few years, much attention has been devoted to the struggle so of recruiting, hiring, and maintaining a staff. It's more likely that finding and retaining sufficient staff to perform all the necessary roles can be challenging. 
Many of us have heard the great resignation prompted at, or at least expedited by the pandemic. We also know that unemployment this year has been at all-time lows. It's not just that people aren't looking for work, it's that jobs are more plentiful than workers. The harvest is plentiful and there aren't enough laborers because they're already working somewhere else. Of course, my story isn't about recruitment or employment practices. It's not about compensation. It's a story of hospitality or the lack thereof. The gospel story isn't about workers' compensation or recruitment. It's a story about grace in the kingdom of God. Quote, God's grace turns our lives upside down and inside out, although it actually gets turned right side up and outside in. Jesus makes this point by tucking the parable into two bookends. In Matthew 19.30, he introduces the story by saying, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. He concludes by saying it again in Matthew 20.16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. In Jesus' day and often in our day, there were two clearly defined groups. The first who sat at the table gobbling up course after course of spiritual blessings, and the last, who sat under the table waiting for a few spiritual crumbs to fall their way. According to Jesus, God's grace threatens to upset those predictable seating arrangements. The last get raised to the best seat, and the first might start missing the meal. Primarily, the story serves as a warning to the first, those who received the first invitation to the table of grace, those who had the first chance to obey and serve the living God. Jesus constantly warns the first not to take their firstness for granted. In the Gospel of Matthew, God despises the spiritual smugness and delights in the spiritual poverty of a Jesus-liberated heart. This theme is deeply rooted in the Hebrew Scripture where over and over again, God warned his people to remember the privilege and duty of their firstness. They were chosen by God to be blessed and to bless the whole earth. End quote. Matt Woodley. This story, like the parable of the prodigal son in Luke's narrative, often evokes an objection to the unfairness of treating unequal actions with equal or seemingly superior rewards. In both these stories, Jesus makes it clear that God is not concerned with fairness, which is not a spiritual discipline or fruit of the Spirit. There's no commandment to be fair. Fairness is a human construct that attempts to substitute for and masquerade as justice. Fairness pretends to treat everyone the same while justice attempts to make everyone whole. Pursuit of fairness stifles hospitality, generosity, and grace. Fairness pretends that everyone is equal in all things, while hospitality acknowledges that we are mutually dependent upon one another. Fairness pretends we have equal access to meet our needs, while generosity proclaims that we never lose by sharing our abundance. Fairness encourages us to live in shame, fear, and deprivation. Grace invites us to live as forgiven, free, and complete. Quote, one wonders how this parable of the reign of God was understood by the hearers. Who would they associate with the latecomers? Are they the sinners and Gentiles that are being included in the community? Are the grumbling workers the religious leaders who have all the usual objections to this inclusion? 
Or perhaps the grumblers are members of Matthew's community who, like Peter, James, and John, are expecting special advantages for their great sacrifice, but find that God's grace is extended equally to all. However the characters in the parable are understood, this is a story of reversals and unexpected equalization. It presents a generosity that goes beyond calculation to grace. Hearers today may make theological connections. Our calculating ways are brought up short by God's incalculable grace. End quote. Anna Case Winters. Once again, Jesus exposes the contrast between the world we know and the one we seek in the kingdom. The first last dynamic is an explicit reversal found in the gospel full of them. It's not that the first become less worthy and the last become privileged. The good news is that we need not compete with one another to be valued. We get to participate in and receive the blessings of the kingdom without respect to our contribution. There's no seniority clause or performance appraisal in God's economy. The rule is abundant. We need not jockey for power, position, or privileges when we all get to feast at the table Jesus prepares for us. We all find our place in a house not constructed by human hands, but by the architect of beloved community. Quote, the content, content of his instruction concerns household matters. Why this cluster material on households, various philosophical traditions, as well as Hellenistic Judaism, understood the household as the basic unit of a city or empire. They envisioned ideal households as a microcosm of imperial society. Households were then to be patriarchal and anthropocentric reflecting and constituting elite imperial society in privileging male power over. The husband, father, master was to rule over wife, children, slaves. He provided the household's economic well-being and represented it in society. Given this link between households and empires, Jesus' manifestation of the empire of the heavens predictably includes instruction on households. The gospel imitates this cultural pattern just as it continues to privilege male power in recognizing 12 special male disciples, among other disciple figures, including women. And simultaneously, it also contests this dynamic to some extent. A parable about a wealthy householder and day laborers exemplifies God's empire. It, in part, treats all people equally, reversing hierarchy, end quote, Warren Carter. Human constructs create hierarchies in virtually every facet of life, interaction, and state of being. As a result, the way of the kingdom may surprise, confuse, and even disappoint us. Of course, the Holy One is not obliged to meet our expectations. We are the ones invited to reorient ourselves for the work we were born to do. We were made for this. And God, we are made equal. Join me for a three-part webinar series on Reimagining Ritual on Thursdays at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the month of September. We began with a conversation with Marsha McPhee, followed by two case studies. The first features the new hymnal project of the United Church of Canada, Then Let Us Sing, and the second is a look back at General Senate worship and the rituals we created for that gathering. 
you may register for the webinar series at ucc.org slash events or watch them later on the United Church of Christ YouTube channel. Thank you for joining me. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can find the full sermon seats entry, including a suggested congregational response, quotes for further reflection, voices of African descent, and the roadmap for the entire season on ucc.org. Sermon Seeds also has a Facebook page where I do a weekly Facebook Live process video in preparation for the reflection and share updates and links for Sermon Seeds and Worship Ways. Follow us there and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. I pray that this tool provides a seed that will bear fruit in your faith community as you proclaim the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.